Hello, Lineclick Nation. This is Ray DeLucci with the Lineclick Thoughts Podcast. On this episode, I interview friend Val Goodrich. Val is someone I've known for quite a long time. Uh, I met her in college, and uh, basically, we've been friends ever since. And the reason I wanted to have Val on is because, um, you know, a lot of my friends in this food industry uh, have different roles besides working in the kitchen. And I really wanted to highlight Val's career so far because she's someone who went into food media. Um, she is from Chicago, and she's currently living in Lancaster and is a food and beverage writer. And I really just uh, wanted to have her on because I know a lot of you have reached out to me in terms of different career paths besides being in the kitchen, or you've talked to me about being in the kitchen and how, while you love food, you would like to take a break and go do something else. And so I thought a perfect story to tell would be Val's story because it's one of someone kind of you know, not really being in the kitchen, but still having a large impact on the industry. So I really hope you all enjoy. I wanted to thank Val for coming on and also for the support uh, of Lion Cook Thoughts. She's been a supporter since day one, and it's just been really great to have her in my corner um, through all of this. So thank you, Val, so much for coming on, and here we go. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Val, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Hey, Ray. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. Um, for the listeners listening right now, Val is someone who I had met in college and we are good friends. And basically, I wanted to have Val on the podcast because she is someone who over the years was doing baking and pastry. Uh, she then transitioned to food media. And I thought her story of transitioning to food media and kind of finding a job in a field where I mean, like when I started school, I wouldn't have thought about food media as an option. Um, but obviously, Val saw an opportunity in it. And she's been able to kind of find her path in that. And you know, I know you put a lot of hard work into that. So definitely want to get into that story. But first, if you just want to introduce yourself to the audience, that'd be great. Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm Valerie Goodrich. Um, I'm a food and beverage writer at a restaurant supply chain. Um, and I'm originally from Chicago, but now I live in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Um, I'm 22. And yeah, not much else to it. Awesome. Um, so I know you're from Chicago and I want to know what food was like for you growing up. So I really don't have any kind of like big fancy story about food in my past. I honestly, so obviously Chicago's in the Midwest. I just grew up with like the Midwestern ideals and Midwestern food culture of just kind of like comfort food I guess that's like pretty mm -hmm. synonymous midwestern food um there really isn't um yeah like much to my past about food I kind of got into baking when I was 12 um and I would just bake from like those uh cake box mixes and stuff and I was like oh my god I'm so good at this and um so from there I was like oh I want to be a pastry chef when I grow up so from age 12 to like age 16, I had this idea that I wanted to be a pastry chef. And um, I told my parents how I wanted to go to culinary school. And actually my mom was like, not about it at all. And she was like, you have to go to regular school. And like, gave me that whole spiel. And I was like, no, like, I really want to go to culinary school. And um, I guess to, like, prove my point even further, um, I started working in bakeries right away, just, like, in the front of house area. Um, mm -hmm. And I kind of quickly realized that, like, I didn't want to be in the actual restaurant industry as, like, my full-time job when I graduated college, but I really wanted to do something with food. And I just okay. was very confused. I just didn't really know what it was that I wanted to do, but I knew I really liked food culture and learning about food. 
Um, and then um, my dad would always clip out articles in the Chicago Tribune for me. And he was like, oh, like, read about this restaurant that just opened and, like, read about these spices that they're talking about. And I would read them and I was like, this is so cool to learn about this like this. And, like, this is just people writing about food and new places that are opening and really inspiring chefs that are starting new places. And this is just really cool. And I want to have more of this. So Mm -hmm. my dad would take me to Barnes and Noble and I would go buy all these food magazines. Like I would buy Bon Appetit and Food and Wine um, and Sift by King Arthur Flower and just gobble up those magazines like I would just rifle through them all in the same day like front to back cover to cover I would read the whole thing and it was actually my dad that was like why don't you have this be your aspiring thing to do like you want to do food why don't you do something with food media and I had never even heard the words food media or even considered something like that So, Mm -hmm. um, I guess that's when I became really curious about it. And then, so I kept buying those magazines and then like following the accounts on Instagram and like looking at their websites and learning about the people that worked there and then reading books about food. And I just really, um, just like, uh, I'm trying to think of the word absorbed all of like the food writing in general um so yeah so then when I was 17 I was like I think what I want to do is food media um so then I was like okay but I like should I go and get a journalism degree or what and then that's when I found CIA um and I saw that they had you do the cooking and baking in your first two years, and then you can get your bachelor's degree and do continuing education. So that's okay. why I picked CIA, because I could do both. I could learn how to cook and bake, which would give me credibility to be able to write about it, and then also learn continuing education. And so I did applied food studies, and for people that don't know what that is, it's basically like the future of food. So I took classes about agriculture and sustainability, and uh, I had a lot of food media classes. So I did a food writing class, which probably changed my life. Um, It was amazing. And uh, I took a food photography and food styling class. Um, And yeah, those two classes just really solidified me wanting to be in food media. I was also on uh, our student newspaper. I was our restaurant reviewer. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, that was the question is kind of how, you know, what food was like for you growing up, which was going to lead into kind of how you got into baking. Um, I did want to shout out your parents real quick, because your parents are very awesome people. Um, (laughs) Bell's parents always uh, make a point, you know, to make me feel welcome whenever I visit Chicago. So Uh, shout out to them. My parents, um, they love you more than my sister and I, I swear to God, (laughs) you are their son they've always wanted and never had. (laughs) um but uh no i mean i I think it's really cool going back to kind of your dad you know taking the time to you know go into newspapers and kind of clip out those articles what i mean obviously that had a big impact on you but when you look back at kind of i guess how you were kind of getting interested in the field how big of a part does that play for you in terms of your dad showing you all those articles and getting you inspired like do you think you still would have been as inspired if he hadn't have done that or um I think I wouldn't have known what to do and I would have felt really lost without him um I wouldn't have I don't I don't know if I would have found food media if he wasn't the one that kind of like led me in that direction um so yeah, he definitely played a really big part in it. And then I also, um, in our food writing class that we took at school, I wrote a whole paper on him about how he inspired me to do this journey. Um, yeah, he played a really big part in that. Um, and yeah, he's so great and so supportive. So yeah. Yeah. 
And I mean, so what, there were no dishes though, like growing up that your mom or dad would make that kind of stuck with you as more just like the traditional Midwestern diet, or is there like anything around the holidays that you really were interested in? Maybe. Um, it basically all kind of, there really wasn't any special dish or anything. Um, obviously the food that my parents cooked was made with love and Mm -hmm. love that for me, but it really like when it came to holidays, um, on my dad's side of the family, we always hang out with them on holidays and there's like 35 people in that one family. So I would always want to bring the desserts and I would just kind of like look up what to make and like discover new recipes and just like teach myself how to make all these recipes. So I kind of taught myself before school, obviously. I just like mm-hmm. taught myself how to bake and cook. I'm more of a baker, obviously. Um, but yeah, there were, really wasn't anything that my parents would make that is something I still think about to this day. Um, it's it's not really in, at least from my perspective, it's not really in the Midwest culture to have parents from like, okay, my parents are from America, but like grandparents, great grandparents that are from like Northern Europe, Northern Europe to bring home any certain dish really or anything mm-hmm. I'm not sure, like first generation or second generation but like it, it really is yeah, no. that for families in my situation I guess okay yeah I mean I, I know what you mean and um I mean same with my family in terms of like not really having like my grandma and my grandpa were Italian or are Italian were Italian um but um like they like my grandma wasn't making fresh pasta my grandpa was really the traditional Italian uh, cook of the household but um yeah i t- i totally like, get where you're coming from did, um did you mentioned bone app what's up doesn't your grandma make pizzelles though she does i mean so yeah she does do some stuff i don't know i was always i love my grandma but she never made fresh pasta so you know whatever. Oh, come on grandma you know i know <laughs> <laughs> i always joke about her with her all the time she no she does still make the italian cookies and everything um and i'm gonna miss her this easter because she does make a lot of great easter um meals but uh yeah so we're like, i don't know i just love pasta so we're like in the same boat about corona like we can't go home and visit our families i know it's it it sucks but uh you know i'd rather be away than risk anything you know for sure so. for sure it's such a weird time it is um but uh, going into, I'm really interested kind of, you know, because like, I have a lot of people on the podcast and they talk about their, uh, the people they look up to, because I like to try to get a sense of, you know, the beginnings of a cook or a person in the industry. And for you, you mentioned obviously your dad being a pivotal role and kind of showing you the food media aspect. But was there any like one writer? Or was there anybody on TV that you like were really interested in while growing up before you got to college? Yeah. Um, so... I wasn't interested in this person before college. I don't know if he started, maybe he started before you and I went to school, but um, I found him uh, when we were like 19, I'd say. Um, His name is Alex Delaney. He's a writer at Bon Appetit magazine. Um, I read one of his uh, Rent Week uh, articles. So he was talking in the article about like what wines to pair it with too and how like you can look impressive in front of your date um, while you're doing all of this. And then he also made a Spotify playlist because that's like his thing. He makes Spotify playlists um, for some, some articles he writes about. Um, and it just all was so cool to me. And um, yeah, so instantly he became my favorite. And I just remember I showed that article to like, anyone that was in like a five foot radius from me. Um, I remember I showed our friend Cole Bailey um, and he was like, this guy's awesome. You write just like him. And so I think since it was like that synonymous of like, oh, this person reminds me of you. And I already admired the person so much. I was like, okay, this is easily my favorite food writer. He's so cool. 
Um, and then I have one more. Um, it's Molly Baz. They both work at Bon Appetit, of course. Um, but yeah, Molly is so cool. I think she has really innovative ideas, um, but she also just makes the classics so well. And yeah, and she's just so cool. Okay. Um, I'll definitely have to look more into both of them. I mean, I know who both of them are, but I would like to go and look at it in the perspective of what you kind of just told me about how she writes and also how he writes. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's well, interesting. Well, right. We like met Molly. Yeah. She was the one in Prune. Yeah. Right? At <laughs> Hamilton's restaurant. <laughs> um, I don't know. Do you want to tell that story real quick on the podcast? I just think it's, yeah. it's such a funny story. This was like the best moment of my life. And Molly Baz probably does not even remember it. But um, so I, you, okay. I was visiting you and Dom in New York City. um, And we were like, we were like eating and drinking coffee all day that day. And we had just had Van Leeuwen ice cream. And you were like, oh, guys, like, Gabrielle Hamilton's restaurant is, like, right around the corner. Let's go to it. And Dom and I were like, no, we are full. We are not going anywhere else for whatever. And you were like, wait, I'll buy our drinks. And we were like, okay, we'll go now. Um, So (laughs) we get there, and every table is full, but the bar was open. So we go and sit at the bar. And I'm just looking around because it's a really cool place. And all of a sudden, I see this, like, person with really pretty blonde hair. So I'm like, oh, my God, like, I just want to look at this person. And I look at her, and it's Molly Baz sitting there, maybe, like, four feet from me. Immediately, (laughs) I start hyperventilating. And I turn towards you guys, and you guys are looking at me like, what? Are you okay? And I'm like, Molly Bass is sitting right there. She's from Bottom Team Magazine. I love her so much, blah, blah, blah. And you were like, go say hi. And I was like, no, she is eating lunch. She does not want to talk to little old me. She's very important. I am very not important. (laughs) And you guys kept urging me like, go, 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 go talk to her. This is your chance. Go talk to her. Mm. And I just remember... I was just having this like huge internal like fight in my head about like, no, don't. And yeah, go do it right now. So I had to like kick my legs over the chair in order for my legs to start moving. And then I stood up and my legs were jello. I was so nervous. And you know how when you walk, you don't have to think about moving the left foot in front of the right foot. It just happens. I had to think about that. And, oh my God, my palms are getting sweaty just thinking about the story because I was so disgustingly nervous. I was probably, like, like visibly sweating. Um, So I walk up to her table, and she's sitting um, with her friend. And they look at me, and then all in one breath, I'm like, hi, Molly, my name is Molly. I love you so much. You're so cool. Like, just completely went (laughs) off at this girl. And she was like, what? (laughs) But she was so sweet and so present in our conversation. And she was so genuinely interested in asking me questions about me and learning about my life and I think a lot of people are scared to meet their heroes and I kind of was too, but she was everything and more from what I expected of her to be like. And yeah, she was so positive and so radiant. And we talked about um, like people from Bon Appetit magazine and she was like, oh yeah, like I'm actually going to hang out with them later today. And I was like, oh my God, you're so cool. Um, And yeah. And it was just amazing to talk to her. And I, I could not believe, like, if it wasn't for you and pushing Dom and I to go to that restaurant with you that day, I would have never have met her. And she, yeah. oh my God, she was everything and more. She was so cool. And then it just even solidified it more for me that she's like one of my favorites. So yeah, that was awesome. Awesome. <laughs> That's a fun story. Um, So I want to kind of go back into 
culinary school, or I guess your decision to go to culinary school. And I mean, you were in baking and pastry, obviously, for the first two years. And then, like you said, you did your bachelor's for applied food studies. Were you ever nervous or were you ever kind of questioning going into food media? Because I feel like with school, it's very like, not pressured into you, but like, it's very like, certain that most people leaving the culinary are going to be going to work in kitchens. Were you nervous that your job wasn't going to be in kitchens in terms, or I guess, were you nervous that it would be a lot more difficult for you to find a job in food media? Um, yes and no. So I remember, um, actually at the end of getting my baking degree, I was like, maybe I should just like stop my degree here and just go travel the world and work in different bakeries. Um, Cause I was kind of concerned that maybe my degree wouldn't like hold any credit. Um, like, sorry, my um, bachelor's degree wouldn't hold any credit. Um, but then we went through the program and I realized how hard we worked and how hard it is to get a degree at that school. Cause you have to work so hard there. And I'm sure also with any school, you have to work so hard. Um, but then at the end of all of that, I was like, oh, for sure my degree will hold credit. Um, I just worked so hard for this and I'm <laughs> so passionate about it. Um, so I was kind of naive um, at the time because I, I, um, like I said, I worked on our school paper. I was the restaurant reviewer. And then I also um, had an internship at Hudson Valley Magazine. I was like an editorial intern. Um, and so I thought with those two things and then my um, CIA degree that I would like immediately start writing at like Eater or Bon Appetit or Food 52. But um, so then when we graduated, I looked up jobs of that caliber and everything was like you need minimum three three years experience as a food writer to even be considered here and I was Mm -hmm. like oh (laughs) I don't have that um so I just remember I was really sad um for like the first couple months um of like being home after graduating from bachelor's and, um, but then I found the job that I have now and it's been really great. Um, and I've worked there for like a year and a half and I've grown so much as a writer and learning so much about food too. You, you think at the age of 20 and 21 that you like know it all and you don't know it mm-hmm. all. And after, and like I said, I've only been at my current job for a year and a half and I've become such a better writer. I've become so much more knowledgeable about food because I'm writing every single day. I'm researching more about food every single day. And now I understand why those other companies that we all hold in such high regard have such, have such high standards for their employees because like, I've grown so much in just my year and a half. Imagine another year and a half, how much more I'll know and how much better I'll be. And then maybe I'll even be at any sort of level of the places that we look up to so much in regards to food media. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Sorry, what was your original question? No, it was, uh, no, that was basically it. It was just kind of how you navigated your, uh, your time in the CIA and how you're able to find a job after that. Uh, you talk about growing in writing and kind of recognizing that growth. What is what does it mean for you, like to grow in writing? Like, what do you what do you notice different from when you started writing uh, while you were in school till now? Like, what has improved, or what abilities do you think you've gained in the last year and a half? Because I feel like a lot of people going into the into the food writing really, you know, they I mean, they would like to. I think if I was going into food writing, I'd like to hear what you improved on and what you were able to take away from having the experience of working as a food writer? Yeah, so um, this sounds so weird, but just um, adjectives to use to describe food. Um, It can be so much deeper than saying, this chocolate's sweet. Obviously, chocolate is going to be sweet, but like it can also be astringent, and um, it can be 
like it can have lingering notes of nuttiness or fruity notes and like just really diving in to every single little taste smell texture the bite of it it's everything that you need to talk about and um also talking about like where it's from and why the terroir is so important and post-harvesting and and that's just chocolate like there's so much food out there and it's really just endless and then also kind of just piecing it all together to make it flow well you learn over time what's good and what's not good and you look back at old pieces of writing that you did and you're like oh my god I would completely rewrite this whole thing I can do this so much better Mm. now um and just practicing that all the time every single day day in and day out you become better at it so okay it's it's and what go ahead no you go ahead it's it's really easy to become better at something when you practice it every day and you're passionate about it and you want to do a good job and you're not just there to make money. You're there because you want to be there and you want to do the best that you can every single day. Okay. And so talk me through like writing. So obviously you have stuff you have to write for work. Um, but when you're looking to write about food and so if I were to, like, if someone was, was to ask you to like give you a topic for an article, um, what is your like writing process or what is your process like in terms of pulling it together and kind of getting uh, a solid piece down? Like, do you start by researching? Uh, do you start by like, you know, making charts and kind of going from there? Like, what is your process when you're going to write a new article? So um, I'll give you the process of an article I just wrote for um, the company I work at right now. It, it's um, a types of cheese article. So I basically outlined the seven different types of cheeses. So how I started was um, I start with an outline and I lay out what, how I want to start it and when I want to like start breaking up into the different types of cheeses and even going in from there, which are like the most famous cheeses or most, most well-known cheeses in like each category. So I guess it depends how long you want the piece to be and how um, descriptive you want it. Um, but I do mm-hmm. recommend starting out with an outline. And then from there, researching all the bits of it that you're not 100% confident on. Obviously, you're confident about writing the first paragraph of introducing everything. But then getting into the real stuff about it, that's when you start your research. Um, then you compile all your research together put it in your own words because you don't plagiarize and then Mm -hmm. writing it all out, taking a day or two away from it. Okay. Come back to it with fresh eyes. So then you can kind of like rewrite it and then edit it in the ways that you want to maybe start using more descriptive language or um, start using more adjectives. And like, instead of talking about how, creamy brie cheeses write about how it has a spoonable paste like start making it better basically okay is there um and so like for something like that would you ever go consider buying like a product and working with it to write or do you just kind of go off of what you know and obviously what else is out there in terms of information on the internet i think um it depends if i'm writing about a certain product because Cause that's what I do every day. I write about people's products for them and help them sell it and feature like the best things and the best taste and everything about it. So, um, we usually get it for free. Um, we photograph it, uh, in our photo studio. Um, so then from there I go and try it and make sure that I like feature the best things about it and make sure I get the taste right and the texture, what it looks like. Um, and then I write about how it can be used, but, um, yeah, so we usually get it for free. Um, but let's say I'm writing about like this cheese article. Let's say I'm writing about that. Maybe I'll like go to the store after work and like buy a thing of Gruyere and taste that and try that and like make sure that I 
am getting everything right or if I've never had um I don't know uh mozzarella let's just say I've never had mozzarella then I would go try it before even trying to write about it so I would go buy like let's say mozzarella um at the grocery store if I've never had it and um then I would just eat it and make sure that I have everything right for like the taste and the texture how it looks what you can use for it um so yeah so usually they give us the products for free but like if I've never had it then I'm more than happy to go try whatever it is at the grocery store because that's how you learn you go and try new things Mm -hmm. and so obviously so you have this process of researching you have the process of maybe you would go try new things if you needed to um, and then what is your, like, to edit it? I mean, do you also edit all of your work? No. So um, at our company, we have editors. Um, so when I'm done, when I'm completely done writing it, I'll do that thing again where I take a day or two to step away from it. And then I'll go back and look at it again and then make any more final edits that I feel like I should make. Um, and then I send it to one of our editors and then they'll you know, mark it up for grammar or where I think I could um, expand a little or cut back a little. Um, And then they send it back to me and then basically it's good to go from there. Okay. I mean, that's cool. That's that's nice that you have kind of someone overlooking everything. Um, So, yeah, I mean, so obviously now you're doing the, you know, you're a food writer and you're in the industry. What advice would you give to someone who is looking to get into what you are doing in terms of trying to secure their first food writing job and they're trying to, you know, somewhat make a name for themselves so they're able to progress in the in their career moving forward? I would say um, I think having my internship played a really big part in having the job that I have now. Um, I, I guess the people I worked for really liked me because they wanted to write me a letter of recommendation which held so much credibility for me and did so much for me um, in terms of finding a job. I remember when I was interviewing for the job that I have now, another place also wanted me. And basically both the places, they liked that I went to culinary school too and everything, but I think a really big part that stood out for them was that I had experience before this in an office um, and actually doing it. Um, and then also that Mm. I was really well liked and had that letter of recommendation. So if you can get an internship, I know sometimes internships aren't great because they don't pay. And if you're in a financial place to be able to work for free somewhere, I would say do it. Um, but in the meantime, you, people should definitely try to, um, do freelance work. For sure. That is free on your part. And you can even, well, you should get paid for your freelance work. And then it's just an easy way for you to get your name out there and your writing out there. So that's a really great place to start too. Okay. And for freelance writing, I mean, do you just approach different companies that you're interested in? Or is there a place where you can kind of find openings for that? So it's kind of bold sometimes. Um, If you're already a pretty accredited writer, then um, places will hire you as like a part-time freelancer. And then you can just always put your writing there because they'll always like what you write about. But if you're not really accredited yet, like you should definitely um, write something that you're passionate about. And then from there, you take that piece to the website or newspaper or magazine, whatever, that has the same voice as what you just wrote about. So like, you shouldn't take your um, like baking blog recipe to Eater. That's not synonymous. Like, mm-hmm. it's not the same thing. So you would need to find like like Martha Stewart or like Good Housekeeping. So everything has their own different voice and you need to make sure that you're going to the place that is this has the same voice as what you're talking about in your article. 
and okay yeah okay i mean that definitely makes sense um because you wouldn't i mean like you wouldn't want to just like send an article to a place that really doesn't make sense in terms of like content and whatnot um i mean i think it's cool I, i definitely think it's I personally think it's more challenging than finding a job to uh, be a cook, if I'm being honest with you, because I think it's so, um, you know, it could be like, I, I just think, you know, knowing you and kind of knowing how hard you work to get where you are, uh, I just feel like it's a very challenging field to be in because with cooking, I feel like, yeah, well, yes, it is based on a lot of opinion. Like cooking is very structural. There's a lot of, you know, there's a giant hierarchy in the kitchen. And there's always usually a place for someone to fit in. But with food writing, I feel like it's just so much harder because there's not necessarily always a place to fit in at certain places, like at certain magazines or, you know, wherever else publishes media for food. And I just feel like you have to fight so much harder. I mean, do you feel the same way about that or do you see it differently? Um, You definitely do, in my opinion, have to fight really hard. Um, You get said no to a lot. And you have to be okay with that. And not everyone is going to like what you write about. And yeah, like that thought kind of sucks sometimes, but like that's life. And um, I think that I I don't, it's hard because like, I don't want to compare it to being a line cook because they're both hard in their own ways. And I think that, like, if you – I guess I don't really know what I'm trying to say. I'm sorry. What was No, you're good, but, like, I just think that, like, in terms of finding work, I mean, while it's definitely hard to find uh, the job that's perfect for you as a cook, I feel like it would, it's just – for me, it feels so much more intimidating if I would have to go out and get a writing job. Yeah. Um, because you're putting your work on the line all right there. And Mm -hmm. if they don't like anything about what you just wrote about, then like, (laughs) that's, that's kind of it. Like it's, it's like you give all your work to them and it's like, all right, this is what I can do for you. And if they're like, no, that's not good enough for us. That's hard to take. And you have to be okay with that. And, but you need to look on the bright side that like, your work will only get better. And also other places will like what you write about. And it might just like, it just might not be their voice. I remember I wrote something and I thought it was so good. I thought it was so good. And I worked so hard at it and I sent it somewhere. And the next day they were like, no, this is not up to our standards. And I (laughs) was like distraught. And I look back at it and I'm like, okay, yeah, it wasn't that good. It was just like two years ago and it, it wasn't that good. And they had every right to say no to me and I've only grown from there. And I've only been like, okay, like I can do better than this and I can be better. And I think that's just how you should go through life when you don't get said yes to. You just try to make yeah. it better every day. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, there's always that quote that a friend of the podcast, Justin Kana, who was recently on, shared with me uh, during a conversation I had with him when I first started out. I got a really bad review for the podcast. And um, he shared with me a quote, uh, The Man in the Arena, it's called. I encourage everyone to look it up. But basically, the idea behind it is, well, yes, um, it's tough sometimes. You're the person in the arena fighting day in and day out for your passion. And there's something so much more honorable and valuable in that than being the person on the sideline watching, never knowing uh, the taste of victory nor defeat is I, is how the quote ends. So, um, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, That's it's always better true. to be out there kind of fighting. Yeah, that is so, so applicable to this, um, to like food media in general. Because it's, it's like you're, I mean, so is culinary, but like, this is your artwork, you know? It's not like... Mm-hmm. You're doing taxes and it's like a structural math like math is math that's just how it is but art is left up to your own opinion your own devices and what you're passionate about and what you feel and like it's hard when someone is like no that's not good enough for me but you just keep working at it and you don't 
let it get you down at the end of the day. And like for anyone that's trying to become a food writer, every single food writer has been said no to at some point in their life. No one has ever gotten every single article they've written published or anything like that. So you're not alone and it's all going to be okay. And someday someone will appreciate you. And maybe you don't want to be a freelance food writer and you want to have a full-time job. So like a company will appreciate you for everything that you do and your passion and your niche that sets you apart. So just keep Mm -hmm. at it. All right. Yeah. I mean, that's great advice. And I hope anyone listening who wants to get into food writing would uh, take that advice. Um, And I guess just for me personally, the same thing, like, you know, obviously this podcast is kind of my thing I do on the side, but it's definitely better. It's better to keep moving forward. Even like if you're told that you're not good. Cause I remember when I first started, like I was really like bad and I didn't know anything about really podcasting at all. And I didn't, you know, I I still don't think I'm the greatest, but I definitely feel like I've improved over the last, you know, what, how many episodes we did, but yeah, I definitely agree with you on that. I wanted to get into what you're doing now, because obviously right now this is a very taxing time on the industry. And I wanted to kind of talk through with your thoughts on what's going on with coronavirus and kind of how it kind of played out for you over, over the last month or so and how you've been dealing with it. Yeah, um, it sucks. This is so... I think that you there's like two different heartbreaks you can have your your heart can break for someone that you loved that isn't here anymore and your heart can break over a passion that is like diminished and i feel like watching the restaurant industry fall like it did was absolutely just watching my passion diminish and watching my friends passion diminish and It's the worst feeling in the world seeing so many hardworking, honest people lose everything that they've ever wanted from life and everything that they've ever worked for just in a, like in a day, in a day, like you wake up the next day and everyone's like, oh, restaurants are closed or like, oh, your hours are cut in half or, oh, we can't afford you and we have to lay you off. And especially knowing, not knowing that we have no idea when this is going to end and how the restaurant industry will build back up, it's, it's so scary and it's so sad because this is everything you've ever loved in your life, like consistently. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's on pause right now and you don't know if it can build back up and how long it will take to build back up to the splendor it was at one point and it it sucks and it's so scary but but one thing that is coming out of this is that I have more time to talk to my friends that are in the industry because I mean obviously everyone works from like freaking like 10 to midnight or whatever and they don't have time to talk to people that like aren't in the industry because there's different hours or you're tired at the end of the day. And that totally makes sense. Um, But now I have time to talk to all of them, which is like, it's so sad that it's under these circumstances, but it's also so nice that like I can be there for them and I can show them my support and also just catch up with them in general. So you need to look at the bright sides in life because or else it's just all going to be dark. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I agree, and I definitely, um, yeah, I, I agree with you on all of that. And it is, it's tough right now, and it's definitely sad. Um, but there is positives to it, you know. Like, I, I would hope that a lot of cooks who are in, like, their hometown this Sunday would get to spend the time with their families for the holiday. I do hope that, like you said, cooks are able to kind of reconnect with old friends and whatnot. It's definitely challenging, but um, yeah, I mean, I just like, you know, on the last couple of podcasts, I've been talking about it because I do want this to be something where someone can listen and kind of see how others are dealing with it or getting through it. Is there any, um, anything you've maybe picked up? I know you're still working from home, so I know that you still have responsibilities, but is there anything, a new hobby or anything that you've kind of been invested in or maybe a new show or music or anything that kind of 
yeah. because of this you've learned about yourself or are interested in? Actually, yeah. Um, I've always wanted to learn um, how to skateboard. Um, so I started learning how to longboard because I heard that's the easier one. So I want to just like start out with the easier one first and then graduate onto that. So I learned something that I've always wanted to learn. Um, and I think I'm going to start making kimchi soon. Um, okay. everyone's doing like sourdough and sourdough starters, but I'm gluten intolerant, so I can't do that. Um, so kimchi just seems like the reasonable next step for me. Um, otherwise, truly, honestly, I spend the rest of my time catching up with my friends and especially my restaurant industry friends, because I never, I never get that time with them anyway. And that is truly a big portion of like what my free time goes towards. Um, and then I just like go outside to like go for walks or whatever. Um, and yeah, cause I don't want to be cooped up all day. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, what are, why are you skateboarding? Why was that something you always wanted to learn? It's so cool. Like you're so free and just independent and by yourself. And yeah, I guess you could like do it with other people, but like that's all you on that skateboard. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. And then you can like do tricks. I don't know. I just think it's so cool. So yeah. Awesome. Um, one last topic I wanted to get into um, was the living as a baker or as a chef with gluten intolerance, it's not something I brought on the questions per se, but it's something that I know that I, you know, really admire you for is, you know, you do have this intolerance to gluten. So you're able to still be really excited about your passion. I feel like if I was like intolerant to that, I would, um, I would find it challenging obviously to find things like bread and, you know, if say if I was lactose intolerant, I would find it very hard to write about dairy products. Is it very is it hard for you to write about stuff with gluten because you're not able to really eat it, or are you able to get past that? So it's okay. So a lot of people ask me why did I do a baking degree if I'm gluten intolerant, and I actually didn't develop my gluten intolerancy until after I graduated from our baking degree, and we were we were in our bachelor's degree. Um, so since I had all that time with gluten, I know what it's supposed to taste like. I know what it's supposed to look like. I know how to bake with it or cook with it or whatever that may be. So I know how that's all supposed to be. So if I didn't, then I would have a hard time writing about it. But since I do know it's, it's so easy to still, um, mm -hmm. and I'm also a vegetarian, um, but what I do when I am assigned like to write about lobsters or whatever, I research so much. Like I'll have notes and notes and notes about what it's supposed to taste like, the texture, how you're supposed to cook with it, how you're supposed to store it, everything. And you can learn all these things by from books and magazines and online and talking to your friends in the industry. Um, so it's, I know it sounds like it should be hard for me, but it's not. And I actually love when I get the challenges of writing about lobster or writing about veal. It's so mm -hmm. interesting to learn about these things that I may not know a lot about, but then at the end of it all, I do know a lot about it. And then I can surprise people with my knowledge about it. And like, yeah, that's kind of just food writing in general, you always learn and you're always re researching and you never know it all. So it's, it's really cool. Yeah. It just like constantly stimulates your brain and you're constantly learning. Um, yeah, that's a huge uh, benefit of food writing. I think you just always learn about food. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I mean, I would agree that you would have to put so much extra work in, like you said, and, but obviously you're better off for it with all the knowledge you have. Um, great. So, I mean, we're nearing the end of the podcast. Uh, the question that I always end with is basically, uh, you know, not even on the podcast. I mean, you've been a supporter since day one. Uh, you always have supported me with this and I want to say thank you, obviously, but what does it mean for you now to be on the podcast and be a part of the Line Cook Nation, a group of 
chefs, cooks, food service workers all looking to connect and learn more from each other? I feel like I am just a human amongst heroes. Every single person in this nation is absolutely so hardworking. And I honestly can't even, I don't know why I'm like even considered a part of how great all of you are. Um, Working in the industry is such hard work. I knew I couldn't do it even going into it. And yeah, I hope everyone is so proud of themselves. And I hope everyone takes this time off to give themselves a pat on the back because, oh my God, you guys work so hard. And it's so inspiring to be friends with these people in the industry and just see you all grow. It's it's so great. And um, and especially you, Ray, when I remember when you wanted to start Line Cook Nation, you had called me. This was like like a year and a half ago or like maybe almost two years yeah. ago. You had called me. It was me. a year and a half ago. Yeah, yeah. So you called me and you were like, I have this idea. Like, and you told me about it. And you're like, should I do it? And I was like, oh my God, yes. That is an amazing idea. There's nothing like that. And you were kind of nervous because you were like, well, what if people like don't like it? Or like, do you think people were like make fun of me or whatever? And I'm like, fuck those people. Like do what (laughs) you want to do and be the niche that we needed, that we didn't know that we needed. So yeah, I am so proud of you, Ray. You're doing a really great job. Well, thank you. That means a ton. And uh, yeah, I mean, if it wasn't for people like you supporting me, obviously it would not be as successful as it's been. So thank you. Um, If there's, are there any, uh, I mean, I know you have an Instagram. I don't know if you want to drop your Instagram handle so people can come follow you or. Yeah. um, If you want to see pictures of the vegetarian and gluten-free food I eat and then like a couple posts of my face every now and again. Um, my Instagram is Val underscore Goodrich. Um, Goodrich as in bad poor. Uh, so yeah, follow if you want. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And like I said, thank you for the support over the last year and a half. And I'm sure we'll have you on in the future. <laughs> for sure. Thanks so much for having me, Ray.